friends to the in obscuria podcast a podcast where we exhume obscure rock and punk and metal and we put them in one of three categories the lost the forgotten or the should have beens my name is kevin williams and i'm joined today by the artist extraordinaire mr robert harrison hello what is going on sir man i am waiting on dinner Dude, I pull up into your, I don't know if you call this a neighborhood, but your street. Yes. And there's basically a block party going on in front of the firehouse where you live. I have to park across the street. And I'm like, what the hell is going yeah, on? There's there's metal and wood sculptures and all sorts of crazy stuff all over the yard. Yeah, we, we blocked your special parking space with the sculpture. <laughs> yes. Sorry about that. I didn't see my name tag up anymore. <laughs> Parking for Q. Yes. Oh, that's right. I used to go by Q for a minute. Yes. Uh, That's our 2021 sculpture garden. So out front of the firehouse is a collection of sculptures and art from local artists that we just decided to get together and have a show for two weeks outdoors that people come by at their leisure. And it's if people feel like socially distancing, they can. It's outdoors. It just it was time for people to start doing things and getting out of their house. And I could feel that energy that people wanted to do things, but there was nothing to do. Nobody's putting on events. There's no concerts right now. So this was just kind of the shot over the bow to get people out of the house and come hang out. So that's that started last Friday. We blew off at the, I think the last episode I'd talked about, I just purchased a whole truckload of propane. So we, we blew off a couple hundred gallons of propane for the opening ceremony. And then uh, people have just been coming by. So tonight I had like, three different groups of friends show up at the same time. So it turned into, and they're still out there partying and having a good <laughs> yeah. time. The beers were out there. Yeah. People were just hanging out in the street. And, yeah, and uh, bringing tacos. So in about 20 minutes, we're going to have to just pause the show and open the door so I can get tacos. The magic of editing is you'll never know. No. So tell me about Friday night. How many people showed up? Again, for context, if you're listening to this for the first time, we are in Atlanta, Georgia. Robert owns a firehouse, the old old Smyrna Smyrna Firehouse. And uh, yeah, he's an artist and friends with lots of other artists and and they do all sorts of sculptures. Of course, everything Robert does, he lights on fire, which makes it even better. It's like one better than any other sculpture. It it just makes it animated. It comes to life. It breathes when it has fire. So it can be scary or pretty or fire, either one. Yeah. So that's, that's what we're talking about. And so on Friday night, how many people showed up? How did you control all the, all the traffic and all that? Uh, Very loosely. Uh, At any given point in time, there were probably about a hundred people out front, but people came and went throughout the night. It was a little cold. I was going to say it was kind of chilly so you were yeah. lighting it up oh yeah we had a lot of fire but it i was wide open just being the master of ceremony so i it was a blur for three hours but it was it was perfect i didn't want it to be too big the newspaper picked it up and did an article on it but it, we didn't have too many people where it was a pain for the neighbors but great time uh, i just if you want to look at some of the pictures on facebook go to indie arts alliance and there's a bunch of photos and videos of the show and uh, we had a fire performer spinning fire and with my sculptures blasting fireballs with that so that's always funny time I get a chance to do that. Well, after you trip and fall into one of Robert's fire sculptures and burn yourself, go listen to Pot of Thunder, Growing Up Rock, the Slamfest podcast, Decibel Geek, Podcast Rock City, Cobras and Fire, and let me stop there. Yes. I, I actually was news. on, yes, I was on uh, Cobras and Fire's sidecast called Whatever Nevermind with Baco. It's 
He does it every other week. He's been counting down the top 25 grunge albums. I was on that. We had our, our episode last week where we talked about it. And if you haven't checked that out, please go check that out because uh, I'm quite proud. I, I don't know how Baco edited it, but uh, somehow I sounded almost intelligent. He's going to speed up your voice so you sound like you're on helium. Prob- well, I don't know. He, you know. He's from <laughs> Minnesota, so maybe he sped me up so he could get the Southern out of my voice. I sure. don't know. But... Go listen to Rock Strikes 10, Metal Up Your Podcast, The Dummy Room, History Science Theater, State of Amorica, Potter Than Hell, The Podkiss, The Kiss Room, I Love It Loudcast, Ages of Rock, The Synaptic Empire, and don't forget about Monty's Rockcast. Come visit us at inobscuria.com. Like us, share us, recommend us. Go give us a, a big old review on Apple Podcast or Podchaser. Let me check. Do we have any? Do we have any? No. People, we need reviews. Send us a review. Take 33 seconds out of your day. Tell us what you think. Or just come meet us live and give us a review. We're going to be at the Rock and Pod Expo August 6th through the 8th in Nashville, Nash Vegas. Uh, the spot for this Rock and Pod Expo is the Hilton Airport Hotel in Nashville. So basically you can book a room there. You can hang out there all weekend with a bunch of different podcasts, rock and punk and metal podcasts. And you'll also get to meet people like, let's see, they just introduced uh, some new guests. Let's see who we have. Ricky Rotman is going to be there. Really? Yeah. That's kind of cool, I'll, man. I- I've not heard that name in a while. I bet. Uh, let's see. You've got... Um, of course, when I grew up in Florida, it was Ricky Ratman. Ricky Ratman. Well, maybe I'm saying it wrong. I, that's just the Southern way of saying it. Uh, let's see. We've got some other folks here. Who else is going to be there? And by the way, does our room have a hot tub? No, but we should just bring our own. Uh, we can put it in the room. That's a pretty safe place to put it. Well, good thing we're talking about hot tubs because the Rock and Pod pre-party, which is on August 6th, that's Friday night in Nashville, is going to be Ron Kill, yeah. who I know likes to get in the hot tub with Baco. Uh, there's also <laughs> going to be... Uh, Resist and Bite, which is the new band for Tommy Skio, who was in Tesla. Oh, okay. He's a badass Resist guitarist. and Bite. Resist and Bite is his new band. So they're headlining Has this he event. Has he been charged with that at one point in his life? Probably. <laughs> and then there's also uh, Rare Hair, which is a, a kind of um, a jam session where basically uh, all these, na- you're in Nashville, right? right? So you got all these Nashville guys that get together and they basically play hair band music all nice. night long. It's going to be fun. I want to be there with that. I, wanna, well, I don't want to be sober for it, but I want to be there. You're going to be because I just bought a ticket. Okay, good. So that's at the Mercy Lounge in Nashville. That's on Friday the 6th. And then the 7th and 8th, the events, the Rockin' Pod. So come check us out then and uh, we'll be there. Are we going to wear our t-shirts or is it like a concert where you don't wear the t-shirt of the band you're going to see? How's it? We need to talk, coordinate our wardrobe. I don't know. I have to figure that out. We'll have to figure that out. Okay. I, you know, we're, we're new at this. Are we going to make our own credentials? I think we should. <laughs> just like credentials from hell. Yeah, like I think we should. 40 of them. Well, yeah, we should have just a whole stack of credentials. Yeah, and give backstage passes out <laughs> <laughs> nice oh man well a few weeks ago we did something it was a bit of an april fool's joke i don't know if if you listened to it if you were very confused there's a reason you were confused if you didn't get all the way to the end when we said april fools but the very last song that we played was a neo prog song epic epic song and robert you teed it up as being a i think you said feta cootie feta, feta cheesy <laughs> you, and i put that at the end the number of times that you tried to pronounce that man's name and just slaughtered it so that's <laughs> at you. the very end Thank just you. for the all the listeners out there but somebody <laughs> responded right away on twitter our, our good friend jeff taylor he sent me a, a note saying first he said damn it you got me again <laughs> <laughs> but it only took him to the second song. Okay. So uh, he got the April Fool's again. I guess we got him last year as well. But then he sent me a separate one, I guess, as he was finishing the episode. And he said, and to finish it with Marillion's Neverland, Robert probably hated it. 
but Marillion is one of my all-time favorite oh, bands. Oh, I got ah. a ah, curveball. And so I, I texted back. I said, actually, that was uh, Robert's That was all pick. me. And he sent me another message back. I said, awesome. Robert surprising me and great to know that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'm known for going, eh, you know, I don't know, but that particular yeah. song, you know, I'm not into deep prog rock like Kevin is, but God, there's something about that song that first time I heard it, thanks to you, of course, which is par for the course. Uh, most of the music that I've learned over the past 20 years is because of you making CDs and things like that. And so this was a, a direct download, I think, from your uh, vast collection at home onto my computer. And I came across it. I think I was on the plane going to uh, San Francisco or something like that. And I must have listened to that song three or four times in a row, which that's like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're there. Yeah. But it just it's the way it builds and it's got a good guitar part that's reminiscent of David Gilmore because it's so simple. It's just an extremely simple, lilting guitar part that just, it it's perfect for that though. So, and it, if you ever want to, you know, need some, a soundtrack to getting it on, that. First of all, Dark Side of the Moon, you'd be surprised, start to finish. That works really well. But this Marillion song, oh, somebody's knocking on the door. Hang on, that's the taco tacos. time. Hang on, stay right there. Don't, don't. Tacos. All right, we'll pick back up on that. Um, so the song itself just really sparked a nerve with me that it has always been that song I can just chill out to. That on the plane, it's almost a tradition if I'm on a plane, which is not that often these days, but a while back it was more frequent and just, you know, like about takeoff. You just had all the stress of getting through the airport. Security fondled you in all the wrong ways. Get on the plane, kick that song on, and like as you're taking off, you have this really just build to this song. So that's always been a special song for me. Well, since Jeff called us out on it, he knew exactly what it was. And in fact, if you want to know what the songs are on that episode, you can actually just go to the show notes and go to the very bottom, yes. and I'll tell you what the actual songs were that we played, unless you just hate it and you don't give a shit, <laughs> which might have happened. Skip it. Uh, but yeah, so Marillion, when he sent me that message, I went, hmm, you know, we really should do something on Marillion. So we are going to do episode 73, Grave Mistake. Marillion should have been huge. So we're going to play two of their songs. Well, so here's the caveat. <laughs> we're playing 1990 to 1999. This band has been around since 1979. They are known as the neo-prog band of all neo-prog bands. They kind of started this movement. And, and what that means is, Prog music, most people think of the 70s bands. That, that was progressive rock. Mm. Your Yes, King Crimson, ELP. Genesis. Genesis. You know, Pink Floyd even is put into that category. And it's funny, I never think of Pink Floyd as the prog band, but they totally are. They totally are. Of course are. they are. Yeah. So what happened was that went out of fashion with punk rock, of course, at the, the end of the decade of the 70s, especially in the UK. So these neo-prog bands, they were kids that were into that stuff from the 70s, but they were trying to come of age in the 80s. And so they basically took punk rock and classic progressive rock and just sort of threw it together and that created what's known as neo-prog. It's, it's a little bit more commercially viable in a new wavy sense because of when it came out mostly in the early 80s, but it's got that progressive rock feel to it and there's a lot of these bands and we may dive into that on, a, on another episode, but today we're just going to focus on Marillion. They've been putting out albums since the early 80s and so what I thought I would do is break it up into decades because yeah, they have so, so much, much content and a lot of their songs are long so we're not mm. able to play seven or eight songs. You would be listening to this podcast mm. until next week. So with that being said, the other thing that's interesting about Marillion is there are two distinct versions of the band. Their 80s content, so their first four albums, 
is with a completely different singer and is if you're familiar with them at all in the states that's probably what you're familiar with that was when they had their biggest crossover hit if you will at least in America they, they've always been big in the UK although it kind of waned in, in the 90s but their first singer was named Fish F-I-S-H and he's gone on to kind of like Peter Gabriel he's gone on to put out albums on his own over the years and I think he just retired he just put out his final album last year in 2020 but that whole catalog with Fish had a very distinct look a logo mm-hmm. uh, that's a lot of color that's what people think of when they think of neo-proc is the the albums that they did with Fish and I just mentioned Peter Gabriel they're kind of similar to Genesis because when they were when they had Fish as a singer he was sort of a Peter Gabriel type character almost he seemed like a newer version of Gabriel so it was kind of Genesis meets punk meets new wave that's what Marillion were then he left uh, for whatever reason he decided not to be in the band any longer after 1989 I believe and they got a new singer named Steve Hogarth and they just call him H because there's two Steves in the band so he's known as H and then there's Steve Rothery who plays guitar but the Steve Hogarth years started off as a very kind of commercial mainstream sound almost pop sound Mm. and we're going to get into that a little bit because he started in 89 I'm going to start with his second album because we want to go into 91 but they've had H and the rest of the band has been set ever since 1989 so they have a long history with H Steve Hogarth but it's kind of moved more into a I would call it the old Marillion meets Rush meets Pink Floyd that's kind of where they've settled on their sound Mm -hmm. and that's why uh, I gave you the Marillion ah, the this, album that I gave you because yeah. I put that on your laptop, I believe, because I thought, man loves Pink Floyd. He's yeah. probably going to dig this too because that's kind of the, the territory they went into mm-hmm. for the rest of their career. So they kind of got out of that neo-prog thing and got a little poppy at first, but then they really settled into this. Just mellow. They're like the English rush in yeah. my my mind and they, they mix a lot of Floyd in with it. So I mentioned the members. You got Steve Rothery on guitar, Mark Kelly on keys, Pete Trevovis, I hope I'm saying his name or it Maybe Travis on bass, Ian Mosley on drums. All of these guys are like all prog bands. These guys are just masters of of their instruments. Uh, really amazing. But the cool thing about Marillion is, and I think you'll find this as, as we get through it today, is yeah, they can play crazy like Dream Theater if they wanted to, but they rarely do. They're really more about the song, and in that sense, they remind me even more of. Pink Floyd mm. because they don't really show their chops too often. Just every once in a while, they'll give you a little spurts. But it takes talent to be able to hold back like that. Right. To know when not to play It's a the craft. Notes. Yeah, yeah it really it's a true is. craft. So I consider them to be the English Rush. Rush is from Canada, but Marillion is big in the UK and Europe. Like I would say, Rush is big in Canada and North America, or mm-hmm. just, I guess North America. Yes. Um, and, and that was mainly from, you know, from the 80s, 90s. Then in the 2000s, it got even more to where everybody knew Rush. But Rush was kind of a niche band. Marillion's same. They're kind of a mm-hmm. niche band in a way. They're in between rock and prog. So that's another way that they're like Rush. They have a rabid fan base that travels all over to see them. Very similar to Rush. Successful, but maintain a cult band status. Yeah. They were never played on the radio. They were, they were well, not I mean, here. here, not here in the say, States, yeah, yeah. but they, they didn't have the rush level of right. fame. Right. But if you go UK, Europe, they, they did. did. So it's very similar to rush. You know, rush has hits here that they probably didn't get played elsewhere. Mm. They're nerdy. Cool. Okay. Yeah. That's rush okay. as well. Deep lyrics, but they have a keen sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Very similar to Rush. Not quite as, as wacky as Rush is, but they're English, so they wouldn't be. Um, <laughs> they embraced the internet as a promotional and social tool very early on. In fact, they get called out as being the band that kind of started the whole crowdfunding thing. 
Oh yeah. So for their albums, for their albums, and and just in general, their websites have always been the best websites of any bands you've ever seen, and it's been that way since the beginning. So not really sure what spurred that on, but that is something they're called out for. All right. So just a little more on who they were and who they became with Fish '83 to '88. We're not covering those years this time. With him though, really trippy and vivid lyrics. Um, they had this whole jester imagery, and and Fish would even dress up sometimes like a jester. They lost all that when. Garth came in. They had eight top 10 UK albums, including a number one in 85 with their album Misplaced Childhood. This is all with Fish. They had 11 top 40 hits on the UK single chart and one on the Hot 100 in the US with Fish. Mm. So that's why I say if you've heard of a Marillion that's probably what you've heard of was the original 80s version of that. All right, so we're going to cover the H years, the 90s for him at least, this time around. And he came from a band called the Europeans and another band called How We Live, who were both signed acts, but they failed to catch on. And then he sent in his tape to Marillion and got the job. And the difference with him, another difference with him, is that he's not just a singer, which is what Fish was. He's also a, he's a multi-instrumentalist. So he plays piano, he plays keys, he plays guitar and percussion. So he added that to, to what they were doing, which added a lot to their music stage. He did his first album with them in 89 and it was a top 10 UK hit. So they kind of continued the success that they had prior and they continued to chart until they left EMI, which was their label in 96. And then it kind of, because of the 90s, right? Things started to to go down. Different things were popular then. Yeah. They had 12 top 40 singles with H in the UK and they've been ranked as number 38 in Classic Rock's best live acts of all time. So here's another similarity to Rush. Mm -hmm. They are known for being a live band and I've yet to see them. I was supposed to see them on the Cruise to the Edge cruise that I was mm-hmm. slated to go on last year, but didn't get to. So hopefully I will get to see them at one point. And they actually returned to the UK's charts in 2016. First time in 22 years they had a top 10, which is pretty amazing. Although now I think it's a little different. You get in the top 10 now versus then. There's different classifications because it's different than pop and hip-hop and they've carved it out. So, But still amazing. Collectively over the years, you know, both versions of the band, Marillion has sold over 15 million albums Damn. worldwide. So Grave Mistakes should have been huge. Well, they are they, huge. They were huge, but just not here. not in the U.S. So very similar to some of the other bands that we've covered on mm. these topics where they're huge somewhere else, but here just didn't break for some reason. The other thing they do that's kind of interesting before we jump into this is they have their own Marillion Weekend annually where they basically, everybody gets together from all over the world and celebrates Marillion over the weekend and they play like full albums one night. They'll play um, they get together in the same place or just everybody in their own town? no it's it's an event it's like oh, a festival they rent a space just out for Marillion and they go and people travel from all over the world it's I like see po- it every year the, the podcast expo it is the same thing as the rock and pod rock and if pod you come expo. to rock and pod you're gonna get you know you're gonna be able to request whatever you want us to do we're gonna play a full album of whatever you want yeah <laughs> We'll, as long as people we'll are buying us beer. We'll recreate your favorite podcast episode. True, yeah. We'll reenact the episodes. <laughs> they want. 37, all right. We talked about Scott. That sounds amazing. I'm sure there's just going to be people sitting at our booth, our table, our car table. In the hallway next to the, the water hallway. fountain. Yeah, come see us. All right, well, let's get into this. Again, we're covering 1990 to 1999 
we will probably do other decades. Yeah, there's a lot to offer. There's, for this there's going to be at least four episodes yeah, I, of I this band. I still haven't made it through all of their songs on my own laptop, but I've listened to some of their live ones, and you can just tell it's a good show. Oh, yeah. I, all right, so we're going to start in 1991 because that's the first album in the 90s. This is album number six for the band, number two for H. So the first album came out. It had content that was written by Fish that Hogarth oh, had to sing. Interesting. This is the first time that they've released an album. It's called Holidays in Eden. came out in 91. This is the first time that it's just the new band. Mm. No fish represented anywhere in this album. This is a, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. This is not my favorite album from them. This okay. is them really hitting in 1991. You think about everything that was going on in music in 91. Yes. And this is their most, I would call it almost adult contemporary pop. Ooh. But it's got some good stuff on it. Okay. And we're going to play a song that I think is good, but it's just a little out of place. This is their pop album. You know, again, you've got Lollapalooza going on and then you've got Marillion doing this. <laughs> so. And they're in between that and the hair bands. The hair bands are still massive in 1991. Yeah. And I first heard when I got into Marillion, I guess I should talk about how I even found out about them because they weren't popular in the States. I went to a record show. They used to have these record shows in mm. Charlotte and I would go to them and the only reason I would go is because I was trying to buy bootleg Kiss live videos and so I, I did that but I also picked up some awesome progressive rock I got some Emerson Lincoln Palmer and some Yes stuff Ooh, that you know on, on video that was bootlegged but I kept seeing these big posters and all this content for this band Marillion and I had no clue who they were and so I was asking the guy I'm like why do you have so much I've never heard of this band he's like oh you gotta check it out they're amazing and if you like ELP and Yes you're gonna love it but I didn't really pick up anything of theirs because you couldn't really find it until 92 and I bought this compilation called Six of One Half a Dozen of the Other and basically it had six songs with H on it and six songs with Fish on Mm. it and when it came out I don't I guess they were just trying to get people to pick it up because it came out after his second album with them so I the song in the closet out some (laughs) songs that I well we gotta get rid of these songs maybe maybe they're just trying to push it but this is where I first heard this song that's why I'm gonna play this song but it comes off the album Holidays in Eden 1991 this is Cover My Eyes Oh, 
hoping that was one of their 10 minute songs i didn't finish my second taco (laughs) it's it's a short one for them so it's very idiosyncratic look at me pulling out the big words it is a good song it seems like it would have fit absolutely perfectly in 1985 six years before (laughs) that because there were a lot of songs that sounded like a a, a soundtrack song to like vision quest or something like that mid 80s nice pull vision quest yeah something like that where it was you know in the middle of the the, the movie's getting boring and they do a montage in the middle of it and you know whatever's happening then this song is playing I could picture that perfectly with that so it's just at 1991 though it was probably a little too poppy and dated there's they're extre- they're in the middle of extremes I mean you've got grunge on one side and hair bands on the other and they're in that Richard Marks center I was gonna spectrum. say Genesis Genesis it's, it's like they were in their whole career people said that they were similar to Genesis mm. they've always been compared to Genesis and this was really them all almost following Genesis to a T where they made, this is their second album with Steve Hogarth and it's kind of going into that space where Genesis were in at that same time. With Phil you, Collins. With Phil Collins. Yeah, because they changed drastically once he took yeah, over. that whole pop. Very successful at it. Yep. I mean, well, they had, he, they had a hit. If, if you remember, uh, We Can't Dance came out in either 91 God, I or 92. Song. I, I didn't like I it either. I hated that song. I like a lot of their poppy stuff, yeah, but that that's was the bad. one song. But that was a big hit around yeah. this same time. Was so that 91? God, that was 91. It was. It was. I don't know if they were trying to chase that or not, mm-hmm. but I'm glad they got kind of back on track with who Marillion is on their next album. Yeah. So, yeah, that album just is probably my least favorite out of their entire catalog. In fact, the first two H albums are just eh. Mm-hmm. Are just eh. Had I not, or had I been a fan when he joined the band, I might have written them off. Yeah, who knows this. how many fans did do that. Yeah, but trust me, they get much better, as you know. Oh, yes. So, 
what happens in by 94, which is in, when the next album comes out. So you've got three years in between. And the world the had changed one. drastic musical world by 94. It had gone full on. Yeah. I mean, it was heavy and you left alternative turn, yeah. and everything had changed. Yeah. And I guess Marillion kind of took stock and said, what do we do well? You know, who mm. are we? And I think they came back to who they are and they embraced their progginess. They em- embraced what it was that they love about music. And they put out an album in 1994. I mentioned I had picked up that best of uh, CD and it was enough that it intrigued me that when the new album came out I went you know I'm going to go ahead and buy it sight unseen and mm-hmm. just you know I bought it and listened to it and I was just absolutely blown away because the only thing I had was that best of and I had bought the live album with Fish which was recorded in 88 which was completely different different band mm-hmm. altogether and this album like I said I bought it on, on release day I was in college and I just remember going back to my dorm room and studying or something and putting it on and it was just it was like Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. It gave you that something else is going on. It's not just the music. It took you somewhere. It took you somewhere. And the, the album's called Brave. It is still one of my favorites of all time that they've put out. It was number 10 on the UK chart, so it was still doing well. It was the last one of those that they've had to reach the top 10 until 2016. Mm-hmm. But it started their path forward with who they were really meant to become with H. And it mixed kind of classic progressive rock and think Pink Floyd with just kind of mainstream rock that was going on at the time. So they never they didn't go down the ground path or anything like that but you know this this album since has been regarded as one of the 20 greatest albums of 1994 by a magazine called Raw. Uh, it's been selected by Classic Rock as one of the 30 best albums of the 90s. So there's a lot of love for this album. It is a concept album, which lends itself to the whole Pink Floyd experience. Again, mm-hmm. you know, I'll mention that again. And it's based on a, a news story about a girl who went missing. And then when, when they found her, uh, I guess a young girl who went missing. And then when they found her, she refused to speak and let them know. So they she didn't know anything. They, she wouldn't say anything. They, at the time, I guess that this came out and they didn't know who she was. You know, they found this girl who had been missing, but mm-hmm. they don't know where from and don't know her name and don't know anything about her. And she just refused to speak. And so Steve Hogarth kind of wrote a concept a around that, a whole backstory around it. And what's really cool, and I wish I had it, but I don't, but they had a, the original release came out on a double vinyl in 94, which if you remember, there were a couple bands still putting out vinyls in mm-hmm. the 90s. It was kind of a cool, trendy thing for a minute, but then it kind of went away again. But they put out this double vinyl vinyl and it had a double groove on the final side so you could get a happy ending or a sad ending depending on depending which on one you, which groove you're in i guess the way i don't really know how that works but basically they had a happy ending that plays um the great escape and then they had another one that had uh, like a downer ending with all this water noise at the end which wow is just i've never heard cool. of that you I, can't do that on cd yeah you can't so i think they you know when they released the cd maybe they just put it as an extra track or bonus track you know they used yeah. to say that all the time bonus track on a cd which i never got that concept like what do you mean bonus it's just the it's next there. track it's the last track whatever the last track is now the bonus track it's not a bonus if i didn't you know you're telling me it's there do i get a paid for it do i get a, a, <laughs> I a cut of the royalties but i just thought that was a cool story and the fact that it's a you know a concept album and it's based around a real story and i didn't know that at the time i knew it was a concept but i didn't know it was based on a real story and, and my favorite song is a song called runaway and that's what i'm going to play for you so this is runaway from brave 1994 Did you cry when the track 
damn, 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 damn. Good stuff, Such right? good stuff, man. Especially after two tacos. <laughs> Sitting there digesting, listening to that. Oh, man. Steve Rothery, man, the guitarist. Yes. He just has a way of just building things up. And he doesn't have to do these crazy licks. It's he not just, edgy. It's so oh, powerful. Man, it's so good. But being able to transmit power through music without being edgy and messing up the song. He's not standing out. It's blending perfectly in the build of that song. It starts off very quiet, very slow and builds and it's so powerful. And most bands have one song like that. Right. We had one song that kind of started slow and worked its way up and, you know, it's called Goodbye and it was when everybody we liked to hear played it. it. Oh, that's right. We played it here. So, and other, you know, hair bands were known for their one power ballad, but this band can knock it out and do it well every single time. You know, I don't get tired of these. Well, th- and this is the album that started that whole trajectory of them right. doing this kind of stuff where they, they have this, this amazing, progressive yet accessible mm-hmm. music. And it really, it just pulls you in and it tells a story and the lyrics are always so witty and just so well written, almost like a novel in a way, and just conveyed I mean, Steve Hogarth's voice, he can really hit these different sounds and different tones with his voice. Pretty amazing singer. Mm -hmm. I've never heard anybody sound like him. It's very unique. Unique, very unique uh, vocal range compared to another band that was around at the same time, Dream Theater. They had concept albums and did it very well. But for me, I never got into it because the music just took over. They wanted to show off. They're amazing musicians and they wanted you to know it. Whereas Marillion... Once again, it like takes skill yeah. to hold back and let you get in. It's like you know, you, pr- you approach a, a dog you don't know. You don't run up to it and stick your hand out. No, you let it kind of come to you a little bit. And I think that's what they do with the music. They lay back and let me get into the song instead of, you know, forcing me back, back, back. But They're, just shredding. It's interesting you're saying that because it, it just came to me. They are the only progressive rock band, m- maybe Pink Floyd, that embraces space. Space. Space in music. Yes. And some people in songs. Makes a big, yeah. big difference. Yeah. I mean, like the wall, not so much, but a lot of the earlier stuff, yeah. they they let they dr- they draw you in, and you watch them build the song until it's just a frenzy. Yeah, King Crimson did it a bit, they but they were more they had such high and low dynamics that mm. it was kind of hard to listen to them sometimes because you get so low and you turn it up and all of a sudden they hit you. <laughs> <laughs> turn it down. But here it's it's uh, gradual, right? And I mean, it's just, like I said, it allows you to just slowly slide into that song. Oh yeah. And you had told me what the subject matter was about, so I kind of knew that. But still, I was you know listening to it, thinking about you know somebody finding a uh, a child you know, that doesn't talk and all the possibilities and so that's what my brain needs is that space space to grow well they were for me they were firing on all cylinders when so th- that came out in 94 they followed it up a year later with an album called afraid of sunlight and the way that i would find out about these albums back then was i would just go to the record store and you just see something on the shelf i'm mm-hmm. like oh, oh shit. there's a new one there's a new one <laughs> and that's how i found afraid of sunlight so i got it the the week it came out as well i picked it up right away and the first song is called gazpacho it's amazing it, i was gonna play that but i'm gonna i decided to play a different song but this is not a concept album but every song deals with celebrity and the destruction of kind of your soul by being celebrity it's a really cool take and i mentioned that first song gazpacho because that is the one song that influenced me the day that i heard the song and influenced me to go write a song and you've played that song and that song oh. is called dashboard jesus yeah. <laughs> Never heard that story all these years later. Yep. That is where that came from. And we actually played that song on episode 18, This yeah. Is Your Death, last year. So go check that out when we thought we were all going to croak. Thank God we didn't. <laughs> oh, shit. Speak there he yourself. goes. So this is the first album of theirs, Afraid of Sunlight, not to reach the UK top 10. 
and this is their last album on the major label of EMI. And uh, it is one of my, this is a one-two punch for me because getting Brave when it came out and then a year later getting Afraid of Sunlight, I'm like, man, this band is amazing. They were mm-hmm. one of my faves. It influenced me to write a song that I still love to this day. Mm-hmm. So uh, just, you know, big influence on me. And this is the first album also that they recorded at the Racket Club studio, which is a studio that they've owned. Every album since this one has been recorded there on their own, which home, is home pretty turf. amazing because not a lot of bands do that. So I'm going to play the song King. This is the last song on the album. This album is fantastic. Go pick it up. It's called Afraid of Sunlight 1995. King is about Elvis Presley, Kurt Cobain, Michael Jackson. Again, it's about celebrity and what happens when you get to that Mm. status. In America, the King Elvis Presley was dead. His adoring fans worshipped him. Everything is beautiful. How long can you stand? Tightening
It's over. Oh, it's over now. They pulled a sneaky, sneaky one there. I was ready to talk, and <laughs> I got waved off by Kevin on the other side of the bar. It's like, no, no, just no, wait. not yet, not yet. The outro will just blow God, you away. Yeah, what the hell? That's an amazing outro. His somebody think okay, his voice with we've got like five comparisons to Pink Floyd. Here. With Roger Waters, you had really amazing, really contemplative lyrics, but his voice was specifically used as a kind of an edgy um, balance to David Gilmore's the voice, which talky, is more melodic. Yeah, the yeah, more talky, more talky not voice or screaming. Yeah. And so with uh, Marillion H has got this, it's amazing and melodic. And once again, it just, my shoulders drop. You just oh, feel okay. yourself just relaxing, listening to this. And that once again, allows you to enter this song and fully embrace this music. But that buildup in the first part of it, that guitar was just ripping more than David Gilmore would get into it. He always, you know, on his heaviest solos, you know, he still is holding back. You know, he's got more. Yeah. But that, he was just letting that fly. Yeah, Rothery is, he can be that, you know, virtuoso yeah. kind of 
80s style yeah. player when he wants Real to. Heavy. He very rarely goes there, but he just throws little flashes. But even then, I wanted two more minutes of that. <laughs> and they, they brought it back down. Oh again. my God. It was just amazing. It was just a perfect build at the right moment. We haven't talked about the rest of the band, but this song in particular showcases, I mean, Ian Mosley on drums, mm. just fantastic. You you got two songs where he really laid back. And he he's he's the master. The guy plays to that's, whatever that's the hard song for drummers is. to do that. Really hard for a drummer, especially when he's that good. Yeah. You just saw a prog drummer being a, you know, doing that Mike Portnoy kind of stuff in mm. this song. Yet in all these other songs, he's laying back yeah. and he's he's in the groove and he's holding down the beat. Guitar players can always just turn down, but they're yeah, still there. Yeah. Drummers you can't drummers, really turn it down. Telling a drummer to not play something to his ability, yeah, that doesn't sound right. Not to his ability, but to not play flashy to where his chops can take him. Yeah, but instead to play for the song. That is so hard to do. It's hard. So hard. So Ian Mosley, amazing drummer. And you saw, you heard the bass. I mean, Pete and then Mark Kelly on keys, mm. the organ in this song. Love the organ. God, it's and so that's another good. comparison to the Pink Floor where they kind of had that run up on the organ before the guitars kick in. It was the, the, the duo uh, between Gilmore and Wright. And then this one, they just played it together yeah, perfectly. This one, you got Mark Kelly and Steve Rothery. And you actually have two keyboard players on this one because H, H is play, playing. He's playing that electric piano that you hear throughout. Okay. And then Mark Kelly comes over top with the, the synthesizer and the organ. So just lots of layers. Lots of layers. Love that. And this band can pull it off live because you've got H who can do all yeah, this. You don't have to bring in contract players. Extra stuff. <laughs> Amazing. So that was their, I mean, and just the sonics on that, I don't know if you could just imagine a whole album where you can mm. just really hear it's mixed better it sounds better than their last album even though brave is amazing and it has all these pink floyd type qualities to you know lots of sound effects and things going through one ear and the other this album really brings that home and it's just recorded so well and it was recorded at their studio so mm. they they have set themselves up for success for the rest of their career because they know how to get these sounds out of their own studio imagine being able to walk in and nobody's messed with your microphone or your, your amp settings so the next album so that came out in 95. Am I right? Yes, 95. And then I don't, I, I told you, I, I would just happen to see a Marillion record at, you know, at a record shop or I think back then there was a place called Media Play. Do you remember that place? Yes. So I saw a live album. That was the last thing I saw after 1995 of theirs because mm-hmm. that was the last album that was on EMI was this live thing that came out after this release we just heard. And I didn't really hear from them again I because they went to an indie and they were mainly distributed, I'm assuming, in, in the UK and in Europe. But I go on a European trip in 1998, and it's a two, three-week trip that I take, and half of that trip is on this kind of bus tour called Kentucky, where they bring I remember that. people in. Under, you had to be under 30, mm-hmm. and it was people from all over the world would get on this European jaunt, and it was just drunken debauchery <laughs> is what it was. But we had an amazing time, but our bus driver was this cool English dude, and he had this copy of a CD sitting on the console one day and I'm, I'm getting ready to get off the bus. I'm like, what is that? And it said Marillion and it said This Strange Engine. And it was an album that I hadn't seen before. And I was like, what's that? And he goes, what's their album that came out last year? Get with the times, bloke. He, he's like, what's your, what's your problem, man? <laughs> I'm like, 
oh my God, can I borrow that? And of course, it was a new Marillion album that I didn't get to experience in the States because it wasn't marketed there. So yes, that this is the start. This Strange Engine is the start of a what's called a trilogy. They signed a three-album deal. They put out these three albums. It's called the Castle Trilogy, and it's the rest of the 90s, basically, mm-hmm. this trilogy. And it's they're all kind of similar. They all come out in pretty close sequence. So you've got 97, 98, 99, this trilogy. And I'm going to play from the first one, which is This Strange Engine. I didn't, I heard it, but I didn't pick it up until much later, probably 2004 or so, when I finally found this, maybe got it on Amazon or something. But interesting listening to it now. At the time, it felt amazing. And I thought it was it was them kind of going into new territory. Looking back on it now, after knowing the full discography of where Marillion have gone, it's kind of a weird trilogy of albums, mm. but unique in, in this sense. So it has songs that are really mellow, has some really long songs, and then they have rockers. And it's an interesting mix that they didn't repeat again after this trilogy of albums. But I'm going to play a song called An Accidental Man from This Strange Engine, 1997. <laughs> I was taught from much too young To never give myself away Yes, I was taught for every secret Oh, <laughs> 
This music I can't listen to in my shop when I'm building a sculpture because my mind just wanders. I can't focus on what I'm doing. I usually listen to Motorhead or <laughs> something like that where it doesn't matter what he's saying. It's just, yeah, it's Lemmy. Right. Like, yeah. But this is what I listen to when I'm sketching or designing a concept for a sculpture because uh, it, it just... I'm just naturally wound up pretty tight. It doesn't, it's not easy for me to just relax. It takes a minute or two of, you know, really thinking about wanting to relax and just chill. And so this type of the music, as we've said, the the space, the, the fact that it's not just three and a half minutes in and out, it gives you time to listen to that song and get into it. Yeah. This is a true example of tension and release Mm -hmm. tension and and they do it over and over. Build, 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 and then bring it back down. It's also interesting. I like this album a lot, but as I look back on, this is Marillion in the nineties and this is the late nineties for them. And the first time that they're not on a major label and they're they're it, it might be them trying to find themselves 
ourselves a little bit again. Mm. And when I look at these three albums, uh, you know, we're, we're going to play two more songs from the, the other two albums that are in the trilogy called the Castle Trilogy. I look at this trilogy now knowing the next 20 years that are to come, and, and we'll get there it's, in other it's, episodes. It's amazing to think, hey, they've already been around yeah. 20 years. <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we're going to get another 20 years where they just continue to blow my mind. But looking back at this trilogy of albums, it sort of sits with me kind of like another trilogy that started in 1999. Mm-hmm. And that was the Star Wars prequels. It kind of sits with me a little bit like that. It's welcomed. It was welcomed at the time. Oh Oh, my God, we're getting these new movies. Anything Star Wars is great. But it's somewhat missing the mark. Yeah. At least there was no Jar Jar Binks. Yeah, there's no Jar Jar on on any of this album. But it kind of sits that same way for me. Like this is, I was looking forward to this, but at the same time, it's slightly missing the mark. Now that's the albums as a whole. I'm picking the songs that I feel like are just up to par and mm-hmm. up to standard with what Marillion delivers. And we're going to go into the next one. So they again, this was, you know, quick succession, a trilogy, 97, 98, 99. So moving on to uh, album in the trilogy number two called Radiation is the next album. This is number 10 for the band overall. Mm-hmm. So it was a big deal for them. And the cover of Radiation and the cover of the next album, which is called Marillion.com, feature the same kind of creepy girl in a cloak on the cover. So why they didn't draw that through all three of them, I don't know. I don't know if it was a, a mm-hmm. miss step with the first album like oh we should have put the creepy girl in the first one then you really do have a trilogy but maybe they weren't thinking of it that that way in the beginning but a lot of diehards did not like this album when it came out mainly because of the way it was mixed Mm -hmm. so even though they recorded it at their studio where they've recorded the previous two albums it didn't come across sounding exactly the same and they did something that the only other band I know that has done this is the band that I am comparing them to Mm -hmm. Rush so Rush completely remixed an album and and re-released it this band also did the same thing so Rush did Vapor Trails. I don't know if you know, but Vapor mm-hmm. Trails came out. Everybody complained that it was really muddy. 10, 15, 20 years later, they remixed it and, and put out a new version of Vapor Trails, and it sounds amazing. And you get to hear all these things you didn't hear before because it was muddy. Mm-hmm. The same guy that makes Metallica's... Probably the same guy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lars Ulrich. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We're getting sued. <laughs> With Radiation, it was the same thing. So in 2013, this came out in 98, in 2013, they, they re-released Radiation. I have it on vinyl. So I have the CD the original and then I have the vinyl the remix and it's very different but I'm going to play from the original because I, I feel like it makes sense in the landscape of of the trilogy that we're listening to but they also recorded several songs while they were recording Radiation for the next album so it just speaks to the fact that these were considered to be volumes I don't think uh, they did that with other albums um, this album actually peaked at number 35 in the UK charts which is pretty impressive given the fact that the diehards didn't quite like it and, mm-hmm. and the fact that they were not on a major label and, and it was 19 98. So, so a lot going on. I, I think in England, UK, and Europe, there's probably a lot of the, the Britpop at that time, yeah. I believe, as well as all the amazing stuff that came from the US, which were, you know, boy bands and all that kind of crap and, and new metal. I, and, we're sorry about that. Yeah, boy. We apologize. Well, they had their own. The UK had their own uh, boy, boy bands. And they had, uh, what, was the, what was the girl group? Uh, oh, uh, Spice. Spice, Spice Girls. Right? Spicy Girls. Yeah, so all that was going on in pop world. Catnip. You know, at the time. Yeah, exactly. Julep. And Morillion gave us this. So I'm going to play this brilliant song called Cathedral Wall from Radiation 1998.
How would you even begin to describe that song to somebody that's never heard? I mean, they could even heard of the band, but just like, okay, we're going to play the song for you. It's gothic, it's edgy, but it's really chill and mellow at the same time. It's scary, but cool. I was going to say creepy, cool. Creepy, this cool. Is their, this is their goth God. album. Radiation oh is kind of their God. goth album. It's kind of creepy, but really... It's going on my goth playlist. I mean, I spent amazing. two hours this afternoon designing a gothic cathedral that I want to build in the backyard. And this, and this is, is called Cathedral I, Wall. I wish... I, I know, it's just very... It's just sweet. It, it jives very well with what I was building, so I'm going to have to get a playlist <laughs> from you tomorrow. We can make that happen. God, and, that was amazing. Yeah. Just that, the, the sound effects in that one, it was well mixed. I mean, I didn't hear any issues with that. That's that's the version that people didn't like, but... Uh, well, I mean, I'm, my hearing is not the best after being in a band for I, how many years, but... I don't still have any it, backlash. I mean, I, I'm a, could the headphones. drums have been a little different mix? Sure, but, it, but that particular song is so odd, not odd, different, that <laughs> it's hard to compare it it's sonically. very cinematic. Very that, cinematic, yeah. yes. That's a great way it to put it. It tells a story. Yeah, the screams in the back, the very flat mix at the beginning worked well with the echoey screams it just accentuated that you were here and then way down this hall there was somebody maybe not the happiest they've ever been screaming and then you you got the ghost man ending yeah i love that because you think the song's over and then you get this like ghost kind of thing you have to listen closely yeah but uh, god this episode's making me happy (laughs) (laughs) a lot of people are probably like what the hell are you guys playing oh you got it stuff you got to just sit down you got to do what we're doing which is headphones headphones on old school eyes closed yeah get into turn down the lights maybe if you have to yeah if you're driving don't, don't do don't that, do that. Don't no, do that. No. turn yeah. on your headlights if it's raining but so 99 so the end of the 90s they give you the third and final album in the castle trilogy and they leave castle records after this album hence the castle records trilogy and this is the first album they've ever put out where they don't have any singles released in the uk so this is album number 11 and they actually don't release any singles whatsoever and this is kind of them embracing their present and their future as an independent artist because they are looking to leave Castle. This is their last album with them. And they're already looking at where do we go next? And what was happening in the late 90s that was really being embraced by everyone? The internet. Dot com. And that's the name of this album. It is This is Marillion.com. Oh, and nice. <laughs> they called it that because this was when they launched their amazing website. And yeah. for the time, it was really amazing. It was unlike anything else that any other bands had at the time. And they've really continued that. Their online presence is, is huge. They do great social presence as well. They really embrace the technology. And they realized after this album that Marillion.com is their step forward. Mm. And with their next album, they created something called crowdfunding that was done via the internet. And that's how they fund their independent releases so going avant-garde. Forward. Yeah, it was unheard of, especially for yeah. a band that had been on a major label for so long mm-hmm. who had you know hits in the UK and it was an established old school band that was on a major. And I don't know if, how much of you remember from the dot-com buzz before the bubble burst, but it was way more than what Bitcoin is now. You think there's people go crazy over that, the new NFT, whatever, there's a little flash in the oh, pants. Everything this, was in technology. You put all your money in I it, had so it, many friends that were millionaires on paper, none of them ever made any money. No. But, but I knew it was a bubble when we would go out drinking, and that's what the conversation was. What kind of dot-com are you starting? Oh, you're starting a company? Oh, I, I started a company that does this. We and got a website 
about it. Yeah. And here I am. I'm a con- I'm a construction yeah. or you know a musician, one of the two. But it it burst, and everybody went back to just being normal people after that. So that, but, they they were riding that wave right at that time. Exactly. But they they obviously were onto something with the release of Merlin.com, and um, it's kind of cool. They had production assistance on this album in 1999 from Stephen Wilson, who was in the band Porcupine Tree, which is another band we may go into somewhere down the road. But a lot of people know him now as just being the go-to producer for every prog band on the planet. But here he is working with Marillion back in 99. And now the guy does like full remixes of catalogs. Like he's done all the Yes stuff, remixed mm-hmm. it and done the Stephen Wilson mix. It's a it's a big thing going on right now. And he's just kind of renowned for being this amazing engineer producer guy. So again, it, this is all about Marillion.com. This is the end of the trilogy. And really what they're saying with this album is there's more to come, but it's going to change. And I'm going to play a song that is called, well, it's the first song on the album. It's called A Legacy. Marillion.com, 1999. When I leave you, I will leave you things that might not help you, things that might, problems that I never solved, dreams to keep you up at night as I leave you. I will leave you things that stick forever, things that slide. Mysteries I swallowed whole.
was them getting back to their prog rock roots, true prog rock. They had a section in there, this little funky rock. It reminded me of later extreme, uh, somewhere in that vicinity. But that was more just straight up prog rock to me. It was good. I don't even have much to say. I mean, it's just all over the... It's yeah. another cinematic song yeah. where you get all these different settings and different places vignettes. that it takes you. Yeah, vignettes. That's a good way of saying it. Again, it's setting up for the next 20 years of mm-hmm. this band, which we will dive into so decade much more. at a time at some yeah. some point. I wanted to start this week in the 90s because this is when I was introduced to yeah. the band and when I got into them and really fell in love with this band. And it's just such a unique group. And it's interesting to me when you look at this decade compared with the 80s when we go there, mm-hmm. the, the difference between the group, just by the singer and, and just, I guess, ma- maturity as well. But, right. And then <laughs> we've got a whole other 20 years after this. Yeah. When, when was here. Neverland? That was... Uh, That was in the 2000s. 2000s. So that's coming up. That would be in the next decade. But who knows where we'll go next? I just, I wanted to start here, even though this is not where the band starts, but who knows where we'll go next? I hope you dug it, man. Oh, you know I did. I want to hear the, I I think I want to just listen to the episode, actually, and just listen to the music. Most of the time I listen to myself and and cringe and think, okay, don't (laughs) say that next time, but now I'm just going to listen to the music and enjoy it. Can you just edit out me? Sure. Okay. We'll just make a version without me and I'll be happy with that. Yeah, just make you a mixed. CD. There we go. The old school way. Old school. Well, that's what I have. Who knows where we'll head next week, but hopefully you enjoyed that, Jeff Taylor. <laughs> Robert liked I did. It. I did. For the record, I did. And yes, my music tastes are all over the map, so I will probably surprise you again in the future. No snark this time. No. <laughs> Until next time. Later, folks. Bye.